All right, well, we're continuing on in our sermon series in the book of James. As I told you last Sunday, uh, this, this sermon and, the next, and next Sunday's message are all going to take up a whole chapter within two messages. So we're, we're hitting the gas pedal for a couple of weeks. I can't promise you how it's going to go after that, but for, the, for this Sunday and next, we're going to cover a larger section of Scripture, to, and uh, I'd encourage you to turn to whatever kind of um, source that you have for reading the Scriptures together. Uh, whether it's looking at the screen with me or opening your Bibles or your device, whatever it is that the Lord has for you to see his word today. I'm excited this morning because God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us in this passage. He speaks to us through his word today. And, and I didn't have to make something up. I didn't have to create something out of nothing. We're just sharing together what God has already spoken, what God has already said about this important area of our Christian life. So let's read together what God has already said. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a golden ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are not they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are not they the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really... Keep the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord Jesus, this morning I thank you for the word. And this isn't a passage that I've preached a lot in 15 years of pastoral ministry. And, and it touches some things in our life that sometimes as believers we may not even realize are there. And so, Lord, this morning today, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. And, Lord, as you speak to us for a few minutes of sharing together, if there's a place in our life that we need to listen to you about, I just ask, Lord, that you give us sensitive ears and, and willing hearts to um, ask ourselves some tough questions um, as you minister to us through the Word today. And we'll praise you and we'll thank you in your wonderful name. Amen. I was going to tell a joke about a lawyer this morning, but then I realized that I'd be being against the very passage of Scripture that I was going to preach about, so I erased my joke about a lawyer. But then I found a joke about a blonde lady and thought it was pretty funny until I realized that that really would go against everything that I'd be preaching about. And really, by the time I got to the end of my list of jokes, which wasn't that long, I threw them all out because they're antithetical to the very thing that I believe God was wanting to share with us this morning as we minister together. 
And it really is this idea of the way we perceive the people around us and the way we see the people in our lives. I think every one of us here this morning is looking for love. Amen? We need to know that we're valued. We need to know that born the way we are, created in God's image, with whatever flaws we may see in the mirror, whatever things that we wish we could change, the fact of the matter is that unless you've done something really crazy to alter your perception or appearance, you are just as God has designed you to be, and he loves you with a perfect and pure and holy love. The issue that James deals with in this passage is that in the church, that isn't always the way the church treats the world around it. We know and we believe and we say amen to the fact that we know that God loves us without prejudice, that God plays no favorites with us, and that he sees us all the same And James takes half of this chapter this morning to call out the church and say, you can say all of those things, but maybe there are some of you who aren't returning the favor. Who, by the way, you treat those around you, have failed to demonstrate the kind of perfect love that casts out fear, that plays no favorites, that shows the world around us a God who loves without fault. So there's three things I just want to point out to us really quickly this morning about this passage that I believe that that James is trying to reveal. I know there's more, but you don't want me to give you everything, right? (laughs) Because you've got other things that you want to be doing today. So three things quickly this morning that we see in this passage. And the first thing is really simple. James tells us a story. He demonstrates what he's trying to share with us so that it's really easy for us to understand. Aren't you grateful that God does that for us? It's no great mystery. It's it's no great puzzle that we have to solve. It's not, uh, you know, something strange that we have to try to figure out and strain our minds and hearts to understand. James tells us a story, and I I like to change the story a little bit. Um, You know, this morning there was a guy who pulled up in a red Ferrari. He pulls up the church in a red Ferrari, and he's dressed like he drives a Ferrari. You know, he's got fancy clothes on and a fancy hat and a fancy car, and he walks into the church, and uh, this actually happened in the church years ago, and, and the guy walked in, and man, he was just, everyone was more than happy to greet him. I think a few of them even asked if they could go sit in his car for a couple of minutes because it was so sweet. He was surrounded by people who greeted him and welcomed him. And I don't even think they were thinking about it. It was just what happened. A couple minutes after this said gentleman walked in, a guy walked in with tattered clothes and disheveled hair and unshaved face and just looked and smelled like he'd been living on the street. A couple people kind of saw him out of the corner of their eye, maybe more, and just kind of let him be. You know, maybe he was lost. Maybe he was in the wrong place. Maybe, maybe he was, you know, probably shouldn't talk with him. And, and, and then one of the ushers in this church decided that he probably should sit somewhere off by himself so that he didn't disturb anyone. And the church service went on that way. The Ferrari guy had a crowd follow him out the door when he left. And the other gentleman who came in looking very different was barely spoken to at all except to say, you belong over there or over there. Essentially, that's what James is saying in this passage, is that we as believers sometimes get our eyes and our hearts on the wrong things. 
Uh, there are multiple videos, and they were too long to show, but pastors have, have actually dressed up as someone who looks like they lived on the street and come into their church on Sunday morning disguised as someone very different than they look. And most of the time, they were shunned. They were talked down to. They were looked down upon. They were, they were segregated to a part of the church that he would have never been had they really known who he was inside. And I think that's what James is trying to help us to have an honest conversation in our own heart about is that, you know, turn on your television. Well, maybe don't, but if you turn it on. You are who you are, and you're cool because of the truck you drive. You're beautiful because of the kind of makeup that you wear. You're, you're successful because of the kind of stocks that you have. And, and so much of our culture is driven by the perception that we have and do and attain all of these things so that we're cool, so that we're accepted, so that we're normal or whatever it might be. And James is saying, I think, to the church, you're looking at this all wrong. And I can say sadly in my years in ministry that when, 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 when I've been a pastor and I've had folks come into my churches who um, didn't look like you and I, they weren't dressed in their Sunday best or anything near it. I think I can say that every time, without fail, the church has failed to love them the way they would have loved someone who came in looking different than the way they did. And I know that we want to be safe, and I know that we want to be careful, and I understand all of those things. But it saddens me over the years that, for the most part, the pastor's expected to do what all of us should be doing. Loving without condition, loving without prejudice or without plain favorites, Spending time with people who may have nothing to offer us in return except the opportunity to get to know them deep inside. So James demonstrates that it's not that uncommon in Christian circles for someone to come in who looks to have it all together and looks to be successful and looks to be the kind of person that we would want to add to our body, to add to the things that we want to do. And so we give them a place of favor and then whatever's left or whatever we think this other person deserves, we send them there or treat them like that. And I don't, I I just, I pondered this message today and, and I just said, Lord, I'm not really sure there's a whole lot that I need to say about Just the fact that James says it is enough for us to take a few moments and say, Lord, what about me? And the people in my world, who do I purposely go for? You know, the beauty of the Bible is that Jesus went to the outcast. Jesus went to the downtrodden. Jesus went to, to the part of their culture in that day that the, that the religious people, that the spiritual people, you know, that the people in power and position and authority shunned at all costs. And Jesus purposely blew apart the, the, the prism of their faith of those spiritual leaders by the fact that those were the people that God had sent him to love and those were the people that God had sent him to serve. And he demonstrates it so powerfully in the Bible. So on one of these occasions, the
religious leaders, you know, the people that were really spiritual and important, you know, they loved Jesus, didn't they, right? I mean, they really liked the guy. Not, not so much. In Matthew chapter 22, there's this conversation. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his own words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And I tell you that story because it was obvious to the religious leaders of that day that Jesus played no favorites. It was authentic as to who he was as a follower of his father that he went to the very worst and to the very least and he treated them as well as he would have treated anyone at the highest place or position. And though they planned to trap him, they planned to trick him, they had to be honest with the fact and the realization that called by his father to love, Jesus fully loved each and every one of those around him with an unconditional love. And they try to trick him at the end of that conversation by deflecting all of this to be about something that it wasn't really ever about. But James demonstrates that that in Christian circles, this can easily happen. And another thing that he says, it's the second thing on the screen, if it made it up there, is that God doesn't play favorites. And they demonstrated that by their conversation, by those opening remarks, that if Jesus doesn't play favorites, God certainly doesn't play favorites either. In fact, Jesus turns the tables around by saying that the people that you're trying to, to impress the people that you're trying to, you know, get a part of your plan or get a part of your church because they're wealthy, because they're successful, because they're in a high position, Jesus says, aren't those the people that are ruining you? Aren't those people that are falsely accusing you? Aren't those the people that are dragging you out of your church? Aren't those the people that are trying to ruin the very thing that I'm trying to do in you? God says as believers, sometimes it's easy for us to rush toward the successful and rush towards those with money and rush those with power and position and want to win them and want to get them. And, and, and our heart goes there and, and Jesus says, Do you know what God chose? He chose the poor. He chose the desperate. He chose the ones who could never help themselves. And he also says those who are poor in spirit. I can't tell you how many people who are successful in their life who have no need for God or anyone else. But I can't really tell you anyone that I've ever talked to that didn't have a meal for dinner, who wasn't willing to admit that they needed help, who wasn't willing to admit that they needed grace, who wasn't willing to admit that they needed love. And it's like Jesus is, through the words of James, is trying to invite us as a church, invite us as believers that there's a community and a world out there that is desperate and hungry, and the church may be the only place they're going to be satisfied. The church may be the only source that they'll ever have in their life of goodness and kindness and love and, 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 and giving and generosity. And for some of us, we just can't even be comfortable enough with them to go there. And so we say, like it's been said to me on multiple times, pastor, look at that person who's here. You go talk to them. It's happened at First Friends on multiple occasions. And I'm fine with that. That's my job. I'm cool with that. 
But as I walk toward them, I walk toward them alone. And it breaks my heart to think that that might be a temptation that I have. Someday, if I'm retired, if I'm busy doing something else that God has called me to do, that I would expect someone to do what God has called me to do as a follower of him. God has chosen the poor, those down and out, as to the ones that he goes to and pours out his spirit and his love and his grace. God has a soft heart, a soft spot for the downtrodden. And he delights in showing them how much he loves them. And the way he does that is through you and through me. So I've decided the next time that someone comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, you need to go talk to them. I'm going to grab you and bring you along with me. And I might bring a couple more of you just to join in. A number of months go by, and I was talking with one of these said people, and they were looking around the church, and just kind of wandering around. I didn't really know what they were up to, didn't know what they were doing, and, and, and just um, was just kind of there. Didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, they were looking at the sanctuary. They're looking in, you know, in the office in different places, and then something catches their eye, and it's a, it's a painting, and there's something in that painting that touches their spirit. I'm, I'm waiting here, and I'm, I'm trying to decide how long before I tell them that I need to go home to my family or that I have a meeting to go to uh, is the right time to kind of part ways. And as they look at something that I've looked at every Sunday in the three-plus years that I've been here and never even noticed that it was there, there's a demonstration of God's beauty in what they saw that I'd never been able to see. And the Lord said something to me that I needed to hear. That when you're surrounded by this, when you're surrounded by the church, when you're surrounded by the people that you know and that you're comfortable with, you miss a lot of things that others might see who aren't surrounded by such amazing people. We talked a little while ago about being comfortable, and I felt very uncomfortable in that moment. And it was good. It was a good thing. It was a good thing to be reminded by someone who didn't have the training that I did that God is awesome. It was good to be reminded by someone who'd never stepped foot in this church before that we are in a beautiful place. It was good to be reminded by someone who knew no one's name in this church at all that it felt like a beautiful place. It was good to be reminded by someone who didn't know how to get out of the building that he was in, that he hasn't felt so safe in a long time. And the Lord just said to me, yeah, you've got meetings to go to, and, and yeah, you preached your sermon and all of that stuff, and I just felt terrible, good and terrible. Aren't you glad that God does that for you and I? He gives us a really good, bad feeling. <laughs> if you follow me, I had a really good, bad feeling. Conviction is what theologians call it. I was convicted of the fact that 
I looked at what was on the outside. And all this time, there was this person with a whole storm going on on the inside, looking for light. Looking for light. And I was looking for just about anything else. And I think we live, you and I know we live in a darkened world with people who are looking for light. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that James is talking to us. Is that when we, when we fail to see those people in those moments and to be there for them and to love them authentically the way that God loves them, then we do the last thing if it's on the screen. We send the wrong message about our faith. We send the wrong message about our faith. James says, if you know, it was like last Sunday. He talked about pure religion last Sunday. Pretty simple subject to understand. He says this week, if you want to fulfill the ultimate law, the, the, the highest of the high, the way that Jesus said, you're to love the Lord your God with all you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know any of us would want to come into a strange place and be ignored. I don't know any of us would want to go into a strange place, especially a church, and to be pointed at or to looked over or to be ignored. I found a story, and, and I can't guarantee that it's true, but I didn't find anything that denies it, so I'm going to share it with that caveat. Everyone knows the name Mahatma Gandhi, Hindu leader, and the story goes that in his student days, he was reading the gospel, seriously considering the Christian faith. He believed at this time in his life that the teachings of Jesus gave the solution to the problems that he saw in his own faith realm. So the story goes, one Sunday he went to church to talk to the pastor about becoming a Christian. But when he entered the church, the usher said he had to go over to the corner over there with his own people. And he wrote in his autobiography, if Christians act the same way that we do, I may as well remain the same that I am. I can't imagine what our world would be like today if the congregation in that place would have been able to love someone who dressed differently, looked differently, believed differently, behaved differently than them with the kind of love that God has called them to love with. I have been really careful in praying about this message to not dive into politics because I think that we can awaken things and, and there are, anyways, <laughs> that 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 can stir a lot of passions. But I think that as I ponder my first friends, I think maybe that's a good thing in a way to do. We have political spectrums that are out there wanting to build walls. And there are others who want to welcome anyone in without pretty much any kind of accountability. And there's some differences on how much that might be. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the answers to all of that. But it's broken my heart to read the Facebook posts, and I'm not talking of anyone in the church here, but I have friends of mine who I love and respect and admire, and, and, and I still do, who have written things on there like, they don't belong here, they don't look like us. 
They don't live like us. They don't act like us. They don't this and that and the other. And I was thinking about my message today, and I was like, Lord, uh, I know that we're a nation who has laws, and I know that we're a people that has to have order, and I understand all of those things. And, and I, just, I was like, but my heart is broken by the people of the church who don't seem to have any kind of desire to reach out to those who have so little. For those who don't look like them or dress like them or act like them or smell like them or live like them and on and on down the list of the things that we can say. And I would say that 99% of Christians aren't prejudiced. Certainly without knowing it. I just wonder, though, in our life this morning, if there's someone in our world today that we, they, we see them coming and we turn the other way. We see them coming and say, hey, pastor, go deal with them. We see them coming and we turn quickly before we get to that part of the road and go down the list. I just, I just wonder, as believers... The scary thing for me is that I've done it before. And I'll probably do it again. But I hope that the Lord can take a few minutes from the word this morning to remind me that that's not the way he's called me to live or to love. Because that's certainly not how he's loved me. While I was a sinner in the filth of my life, Christ died for me. While I was lost in a world of wickedness and darkness, Jesus gave everything he had for me. He sacrificed his very life so that I could know without condition, no matter how I dressed or acted or lived or loved or smelled or anything I'd ever done or would do, that he would love me with all of his heart and he would spend every ounce of himself to spend eternity loving me just the way that I am as he works in my life. And this is, this is only something that you and God can talk about right now. In your own life and in your own world, I've seen it sadly too many times in the, in, in the churches I've been a part of. When people who aren't like us or like me come in, we play favorites. I'm going to end with just the simple description of what the Bible means in this passage. To play favorites means to essentially to take at face value. It means to make an instant judgment by what you see with your two eyes. That's what happened in the story in, in that chapter is a rich guy walks in and they're like, hey, here's the best spot in the house. We want to make sure that you feel welcome and loved and, and you know, bring the fatted calf and man, here it is. And then the other guy comes in. Oh, not him again. Oh, what's someone going to think if they sit next to me? What's someone going to think if they come back again the next time? What's, you know, what if he invites his buddies next week? And then, you know, we, we got to keep this under control. And, and you know, you, you go sit over here. In fact, you know what? Better off be down here like a, like a slave. Sit in the dirt and you might get a scrap. 
We sang a chorus last Sunday, and Robert and Rebecca are going to come and get ready to play this for us this morning, Holy and Anointed One. And, and, and it talks about loving Jesus. It talks about serving him. It talks about following him in each and every way. And he is, he is a holy anointed one, and, and he calls us to love him. He calls us as we worship together to surrender our lives to him and to surrender our faith to him and, and to call upon him and worship him and and I'm so grateful for the Lord has helped us to, to put our hearts into that as we sing together. But what James is trying to say in this entire book is that we can, we can sing the songs with passion. We can give like there's no tomorrow. We can serve in the church like there's no tomorrow. We can do all the outward things just like the Pharisees in that day that, that made them look and feel even that they were among the most spiritual people in the world. There was every ounce of proof to everyone around them that they had it all together. And James says, the way you know that you are fulfilling the, the ultimate law of God is that you treat everyone the same. You treat everyone the same. That's how James says this morning to know that we have all of God in our heart and in our life. Why don't you guys come as I pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. And, and it's, it was an uncomfortable passage to read. And, and in a way, Lord, it's kind of uncomfortable to preach about because the world we live in today whether it was the children or the demon-possessed or the sinner or the tax collector or the prostitute, it was always upon the leaders of the church, the, the, the soon-to-be leaders of the church, the disciples, to, to keep them at a distance. We didn't want to interfere with what God was doing. And, and, you know, kind of the building image of Christianity was this miracle worker who went places and did things and, and everyone was excited and we had to teach those fringe people on the, on the fringes. Troublemakers, distractions, dirty, hurting, wounded, deaf, lame, blind, down the list goes. There was something about the about those early leaders before Pentecost that they just, they didn't know if they were comfortable with that. And I'm thankful, Lord, in this passage this morning that you remind us that you are a holy anointed one who gives us the power to love unconditionally, who gives us the strength, Lord, to go down the street or across the street or to our next door neighbor or to the grocery store and, and realize that you love everyone the same. And so, Lord, I, my prayer is for us as we sing this song a couple times through is that as, as we're reminded of a, of a God who's holy, you want to fill us with that same holiness, purity of love and devotion to each and every one of us around us. And, Lord, I just pray for, for that one person in our life, that one place that you've pointed us to as we've been discussing this together today, that you would, that you would touch our hearts and and open us to ministry in a new way, in a new place, to a new crowd, if that would be your will. Let's all stand together as we sing.
It's why we're here this morning is because of you. And Father, I thank you this morning for how you reminded me of a Sunday not that far from now. Where there was a struggle in my own heart of who this person that wasn't like me would see. And Lord, I think in our own way, there are times in our world where we struggle with who we show the world around us. And I thank you that you forgive us. I thank you that you're patient with us. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And Lord, I thank you that you use those experiences to motivate us, to challenge us, to fill us, so that the next time we have the opportunity, we would show Jesus to the world around us. Lord, I don't just pray this morning that as, as those who aren't like us come to us, that we would respond in a loving way. I think that you demonstrated the example by, by having a heart that yearned after those who needed to be gone after. And I think as we ponder this passage this morning, it isn't just that, that as they come to us, we accept them and that we love them. It is that we demonstrate that that is already in our heart and in our desires by going to them and telling them how much they're loved and showing them how much we value them and ministering to the needs of their heart and to the needs of their life. And Father, I pray that as we develop our Christian faith, as we walk with you, as we learn to fulfill the royal law of love, we are filled with that equal desire and purpose to love others with all that we are as well. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint us for your service and for your ministry. All of us are pastors here today. We all have a flock. We all have sheep that you've called us to go to. And no matter they're black or yellow or stinky or clean or have a broken leg or a missing eye, they're still sheep. And you call us to go gather them in. So, Father, as we go, open our arms and our hearts to the sheep that we see each day. And we'll praise you and we'll thank you, Lord, for it is for your glory and by your power we go. I want to invite you, if you are able to, to stay for coffee and cookies and good fellowship. And may the Lord be with you today as you follow him.